0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone. Thanks, uh, Andrew. And as Andrew has already said right at the beginning, uh, this is a most important chapter in the Bible to understand. It explains the world we live in, explains us. Explains the rest of the Bible. And I have to say, when I got into the breakout room, uh, there were already questions for me. Okay, so let me share with you questions that, uh, Matthew had. Okay, so you can see his questions here. Why did God make the snake? And then, uh, who made the snake evil? Okay, so see, uh, there's really a lot of questions, um, you know, on this chapter. And I said to the kids, okay, I will try my best to make uh, this as easy to understand as possible. Okay, so let's deal with the questions. Okay, so the first question, who made the snake? Okay, well, you look at verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Okay, so there you see the serpent is one of the... Many, 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 many animals that God made. Okay, so the, the serpent is a creature. Serpent is something uh, that God made. Now, the second question, harder to answer, which is, uh, who made the snake evil? Okay, well, the origins of evil is a topic that the Bible doesn't really tell us about because it is a topic that is too hard to understand. Okay, the origin of evil, Okay. But, there's a clue here. Okay, now the clue is in the word crafty. Now, we could read this passage and think that crafty is a negative term. Now, indeed, used on a serpent it is. But, uh, I'm told by the, you know, the Hebrew scholars that this word, uh, crafty is also used in a positive way. Uh, it, it gets translated as prudence. Uh, in the book of proverbs and and that's obviously a positive thing. So what seems to have happened is that God made everything good. but here is the instance of the serpent who had used something that God had made good you know prudence and turned it evil, made it negative, abused it such that he became crafty in a negative sense. so uh, God made everything good. But it is when we go against his purpose uh, that the, the bad happens. Okay, so uh, Matthew, hopefully that answers some of your questions. Okay, now keep paying attention because as I said, I'm going to try and make it simple even for kids to understand. And so the points that we have uh, for this passage, okay, very easy to remember, three R's. Okay, we're going to look at uh, rebellion. We're going to look at the result. And we're going to think about how even here in this passage of great rebellion, uh, God has the first hints of redemption. So rebellion, result, and redemption. Okay. So firstly, uh, look at the rebellion in verses 1 to 6. Now, we've already talked about the serpent. And we've already said that the serpent is a creature. So that's important to understand. The, the serpent is not another god, you know, battling against, uh, you know, Yahweh. No, the serpent is a created being. He is a creature. And I'm sure we know that the serpent uh, is a symbol of or stands for Satan. The serpent is the embodiment of the devil. And we are told in uh, the book of John Jesus calls the devil <clears throat> the father of lies. And so here the devil uh, in the form of a serpent in the garden, he's already doing his thing. He's already telling those lies. Okay, so we're going to focus on the the three lies. Okay, there are three lies that the the devil tells in this passage that leads to the rebellion. Okay, so line number one <clears throat> Lie number one is that God is Stingy. God is stingy. Okay, so in verse one, okay, the serpent says to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, those of you who uh, have been with us in Genesis two, okay, in fact, it is told that God made many and he made many trees that were pleasing to the eyes and good for food. Okay, now, the point is that God did not need to make many. And he did not need to make them pleasing to the eye. And he did not make, need to make them, in a sense, tasty. God could have just made one tree that had one fruit that tasted like chicken, you know. And, and that's all that's all the fruit we have, you know. It just keeps us alive. But God in his goodness actually makes many You know, beautiful, you know, colors, orange, green, different shades of green, yellow, you know. It's pleasing to the eye. And you know, oh, the different sorts of fruit. So delicious, so nutritious, so tasty. Now, some people who uh, grew up hating fruit, but now loving it. I mean, because it is good for food. And so the insinuation of the devil here is the the lie the insinuation that God is stingy that He is actually tightfisted He's you know he's, he's withholding something and so that's the the first lie now the importance of thinking about these lies is that <clears throat> the devil the father of lies he is still doing his thing. Right, today he is still seeking to lure us astray, deceive us with these same lies. And so this insinuation, this lie that God is stingy. You know, did God really say that, you know, marriage must be between a man and a woman? You know, like, 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 you know, two men who love each other, who are committed to each other, like isn't that good? You know, God is just stingy. God is just being overly strict. You know, did God really say, you know, you must have, um, you know, one wife? You know, why not have more? You know, it'd be, it'd be so much more fun. You'd be so much happier if you can have more than one wife. Uh, did God really say you should not, uh, you know, drink as much as you want or eat as much as you want? I mean, like, so, so there's this insinuation that God is a party pooper, that he's a killjoy. He's just being overly strict. Okay, but it is a lie. It is a lie. So that's the first lie. Okay, let's look at the second lie. The second lie is there in verse 4, where the serpent says, you will not certainly die. Okay, so the woman says, well, yes, if we eat of it, if we even touch it, we will die. But the serpent tells a blatant lie. Say, no, 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 you will not die, God will not judge, that yeah, you can do as you please, and there will not be any real consequences, and once again, this is a lie that the evil one is using today, and the sad reality is uh, we have one of our old church mates living in a small village in England somewhere, where in a small village church that uh, she and her husband attend this lie of god not judging not punishing sin like the the members of that church yes. have been deceived by that lie and so she is doing uh, a work uh telling the gospel to you know uni students and Can you believe it? The members of the church, the leaders of the church are against her, sharing the gospel to university students, trying to get them to convert to Christ. Because in their view, they said, no, people should have the freedom to live as they want, believe what they want. How can you go there and tell them that Jesus is the only way? So you see, the lie that God will not judge has led them to deny other truths of the Bible such that they even deny that uh, LGBT is wrong and they are seeking to uh, evict uh, our friends from that church. So the, the sad reality, the, the devil is still playing this game, trying to deceive us with this lie. Now the third lie is that, uh, in verse five, where the serpent insinuates, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this, like the first lie is the insinuation that God is withholding something that God does not have Your best interest at heart. See, see, God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because, oh man, He knows that when you eat of it, oh, you know, you will level up, you will gain in power, you know, you you'll be, you know, you'll be like God. You you have this power. See, He's withholding something. He's keeping something from you. And so, yes, you should pursue that career with all abandon. You should pursue this hobby. You should, you know, give yourself to this uh, addiction. You should, you should live like this. You should. You should, uh, you know, divorce your wife and pursue your happiness this way. You know, God is withholding something. He does not have your best interests at heart, but it is a lie. It is a flat out lie. Why? Because if we believe what the Bible has been telling us up to this point, if we truly see and reckon with what God has been telling us, that men and women, we are the pinnacle of his creation. Like we were, we were the last to be created. Like everything was set in place. A perfect universe. You know, like a perfect universe like, you know, like this. Perfect universe that was created for us to live in. And God has given us the, the power, the, the responsibility to care for and rule over this perfect universe under him. And the devil comes along and he's trying to drive a wedge between us and this loving God with these lies. No. In Genesis 1, Genesis 2, how much more could God have our best interests at heart? He's given us the whole universe to rule, to live with him, to dwell with him, to know him, the creator of the universe. And so the devil is still at this work today trying to drive that wedge between us and God with his lies. See his lies carefully. Turn to the truth, you know, expose the lie. Deal with the lie with truth. And so, what happens next is verse 6. The verse that describes the event in human history that has impacted us so epically. Like apart from Jesus going to the cross, apart from the cross of Christ, there is no one event that has impacted us more than what we read in this verse. And so because of the lies and the deception of the evil one, we read, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, And also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And so because of what happened here as described in this verse, this is the reason why we have pain. Why in this life we have plenty of tears, of sorrow? Why there is suffering? Why we will experience heartbreak? Why there will be betrayal? Why there will be natural disasters? I mean, it is all because of what happened here. So from a perfect perfect world, in one instance it becomes fallen creation because the man and the woman have decided to rebel against their creator to disregard his word, think that they know better and eat from the fruit. Now, I'm sure the question will come about, you know, like why God put the tree there, and, you know, was the fruit an apple or something like that? Okay, no, no, no. Those of you who enjoy eating apples, you know, please continue to eat them. Okay, it's, it's really good for your digestion. Stuff like that. Now, uh, what seems to be the case is that there is nothing wrong, in fact, with the fruit in and of itself. What the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents is actually like a line in the ground. A line in the ground where... Uh, it says on one side, you believe and you uphold and you're satisfied that God and God alone gets to decide what is good, what is evil, what is right, what is wrong. That God alone has the right to decide what's right, what's wrong. And so that tree is a line in the sand. And so the man and the woman in taking of that fruit, they have crossed that line such that now, as it says, they know good and evil. Now this phrase, knowing good and evil is not so much that now they know what is right, what is wrong, but rather the idea there, the essence is that they are seeking to decide for themselves. So instead of trusting God, allowing God to be the only one to decide what's right, what's wrong, they've crossed that line and now they want to be the ones who determine for themselves. We want to be the ones who determine for ourselves. We want to be the ones who decide what's right for me, what's wrong for me. I want to be the one to decide. I I don't want to let God to be the one who decides. They have taken this, we have taken this upon ourselves. So we have rejected our maker, our creator, and the, the, the world has become fallen. And so we consider now, what is the result of this fallen world? What is the result of the man and the woman, of us rebelling against God? Well, we see that the first result is of shame. Of hiding and of blaming. So firstly, shame. So we read in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed thick leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Okay, so we read at the end of chapter two that men and women they were naked. And I asked my uh youth uh Bible study boys yesterday, you know, like what's the significance of them being naked? And then one of them said, is it like they were innocent? And and yes, that's absolutely right. There was this innocence before the fall. This innocence that now we cannot go back to. There is now this, this shame. Shame of what we've done wrong. So there's a need to cover up. And we like to wear masks before each other. And as a result, we also want to hide. To hide from God, and so we read of the the tragic events of when the man and his wife, verse eight, when they hear the sound of uh, the Lord God coming, they go and hide behind a tree. Okay, I mean, like if if this passage isn't so tragic, I mean, we would we would burst out laughing, because. How can you think that a tree would hide you away from the creator of the universe? Friends, you see, that's what we want to do as well. At times in our life, what we feel like most is to want to run away from God, to try to hide from Him. And we think that we, you know, just by not coming to church, just by not going to Bible study, we can hide from Him. No, no, no. How how can we hide? Where can we go to hide from the creator of the universe? And so, friends, instead of wanting to hide by not coming to church, wanting to run away by not coming to Bible study, please let us remember that we, even though we don't feel like it, we must come, must come to church, must come to Bible study, because not not that in church and at Bible study you know God can find us, no no. Rather that it is with our church family that we can be reminded that there is no need to hide. That there is no need to run away. And we'll consider why at the end of the of the sermon later. So there is the shame that's hiding. There's also blaming. Now. Um, you know, when God asks, hey, who told you, you know, that you were naked? Have you eaten? And then what happens next is, you know, the man blames his wife. But more than blaming his wife, notice that he also blames God. Because the man says, verse 12, the woman you put here with me, she gave me, the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So, in one sentence, the man blames God, blames the woman, and the woman as well blames the serpent. Oh, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so, this blaming game continues. So, you know, the Yao household, you know, on uh, just last Friday night, you know, there was this uh, incident that happened in a home, and we found ourselves you know, blaming each other, you know, blaming why we bought food from here, and then, blah, 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 the blaming game. And then it's, it's because I was studying Genesis chapter 3 that it became so obvious to me that this was what was happening. So the results of the fall. And the results of the fall continue in God cursing and causing frustration. So the first... Uh, it turns his attention to curse the serpent and uh, causes the enmity, causes conflict to be between uh, the serpent and the offspring of the woman. Okay, we'll consider that more later. But I want to focus on what he says to the woman and to the man. So he says to the woman, verse 16, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Now notice what God is cursing here. Okay, so, He is not just highlighting, uh, this particular aspect of the woman's jaw, that it will be painful. I mean, it does make you wonder, you know, before the fall, if, uh, Eve had conceived and given birth, in what way it would not be painful? But, okay, maybe that's a discussion for another day. Okay, but, but, because of the fall, It will be with pain. It will be with difficulty. Now, can you see what aspect of our humanity God is cursing and frustrating? Can you remember when in chapter 1, God said, Let us make man, let us make humanity in our image. And part of what it meant to be made in God's image Part of our purpose to be made in God's image is that we were supposed to multiply and fill the earth. And so with this rejection of God, this rebellion against God, God strikes at the heart of what we were purposed to do. And so that purpose of, you know, filling the earth, multiplying will be one accompanied by great pain, it will not be easy. And um, what he says to the man next is, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. The ground will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you will return. So the serpent's lie of you will not surely die is that it is a great big fat lie. Because we will toil and we will work and you know, we, you know, with great difficulty, we will feed ourselves and at the end of it all we will just be this losing battle against death, death that will come. So of all the industries that were affected by this pandemic, the funeral industry is one that is not affected. And, you know, it it will only be affected when, uh, you know, when Jesus returns. Uh, for, For only then will there be no more death. Because that is our... Inescapable reality. And so here again, you see, it is God cursing and frustrating, striking at the heart of the purpose for which we were made. See, we will find work hard. God had blessed the man and the woman saying, you I give you every, you know, every plant. I, I give you all this. You know, you, you, you are meant to rule. But now because of the fall, because of our rebellion against God, against His word, we will work, but it will be hard work. It will be frustrating work. Now, a friend of mine once uh, explained it this way. He said, now some people might think, hey, but, but no, no, no. I don't find my work frustrating. You know, you know, I, I found a job that really offers me you know, real satisfaction. You know, I find great fulfillment in my job. Now that is a a, a really sad reality. Because as we've said here, this is a curse striking at the heart of our purpose. So whether this person is a, a, a baker or an artist or, you know, he's a tech entrepreneur and he's finding great satisfaction in his job, we were made to rule the universe. Not just find happiness and satisfaction just because we can make sourdough bread. Uh, It's a bit like, you know, Lionel Messi. Crying and filled with joy because he's got a goal against Adony. No, we were made for much, much more. But now here we are toiling. You know, by the sweat of our bro, just trying to put food on the table. And this is a losing battle against death. When we were made to actually rule, be masters of the universe. This is the great consequence of our rebellion against God, against His Word. But in all this of God cursing, His judgment rightfully, there is this hints of redemption. And as we close, I want to draw your attention to three hints. Three hints of God in wrath, remembering mercy now we'll work from uh, back to front okay so the the last one in verse 24 is god driving the man and the woman out from the garden and the reason why we should be driven out is because well we we no longer deserve to be dwelling in god's presence and so we are driven out but there is a hint of redemption Because God puts an angel. He puts an angel there and the angel guards the entrance to the garden with what? The very first lightsaber. uh, This flaming sword that will prevent the man and the woman from coming back into the garden. Now, why is that a hint of redemption? Well, because What's in the garden is the tree of life. And so if the man and the woman, you know, like they try and uh, sneak back in, and if they eat from the tree of life, then that state of being a rebel, that state of being a sinner would be confirmed permanently. And so... As a hint of redemption, God prevents them from coming back and making that state permanent. Now, the second hint uh, is in verse twenty-one. Remember, uh, Adam and Eve they put leaves to cover their nakedness, but what God does in verse twenty-one is He makes leather jackets, leather pants. Okay, imagine uh, Adam and Eve in leather pants. Um, okay, no, don't don't do that. Okay, but where does God get the leather from? Well, to me, this is an undeniable hint of the first sacrifice. Now, admittedly, uh, Genesis 3 does not make a big deal of this, does not even explicitly uh, mention this, but given that the rest of the Bible connects, you know, every time there is sin, there must be sacrifice. So here is God in sacrificing the animals, providing the animal skins for Adam and Eve, that that hint of redemption, that hint of what is to come. Now, the third one is the most explicit, where in Cursing the Serpent, he says in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. The offspring, the child of the woman, will crush the serpent's head. And you, you the serpent, will strike his heel. So the serpent will injure the offspring, but the offspring, the child of the womb, will actually crush, destroy the serpent. And so here we have uh, that prophecy, that first gospel, uh, the first prophecy of the Lord Jesus, the the serpent crusher, that God will provide, who is none other than His own Son. Now the serpent will strike at the Son of God. The Son of God will find Himself nailed to a cross, bearing the sin, the judgment, the penalty that we deserve because of our rebellion. But He will, in His dying and rising, achieve destruction, achieve that total victory over the serpent. And this serpent crusher will lead us back into the garden, back into access of the tree of life. Now there was a writer who once wrote that within sin itself, every time we commit a sin, it is because there is doubt about God. Doubt About his motives, about his goodness, and above all, doubt about his love. And so friends, we must be aware, open our eyes to the lies that the devil throws at us, making us doubt God's goodness, God's motive, God's love. And so this uh, writer continues that what deprives sin? What sucks the air and the the nutrients so that sin cannot grow well? Well, it is a mind and a heart that is focused on the reality of God's love for me. So the devil wants to make us doubt that God wants the best for us, that God actually loves us, has our best interests at heart. And so friends, to fight sin, we must remind ourselves, we must remind ourselves daily, preach the gospel to ourselves daily, daily remind ourselves of the love displayed on the cross. That this is how much God has loved us. This is how much He loves His people that he should provide the serpent crusher, provide the way back to himself, back to the garden, back to the tree. This is a God who loves us. May he help us to remember and hold on to that every day. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.